Ajax of Tears, thanks again for stopping by. If you're new to the channel, my name is Riley and I'm a former Jehovah's Witness. Today I'm interviewing Mona. Mona is a PIMO. PIMO stands for physically in, mentally out. And what that means is that she's still technically an active Jehovah's Witness, but she no longer believes in the doctrine. As I'm sure you'll understand, Mona is taking a huge risk speaking with me and sharing her experiences in such a public way. Let's hear Mona's story. Mona, how are you today? Hi, Jackson. How are you doing? I'm great, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. Doing well today. Great. So uh, we've been uh, friends on Facebook for, for a little while now. I uh, can't remember exactly when. Um, but yeah, that's how that's how we got to know each other. I believe I I found your videos last year, um, when you were newly um, awakened, so to speak, and not newly awakened, but this this is when you told your story, your very first story. That's right. That's right. Actually, I was newly awakened because um, uh, it hasn't even been a year yet since I woke up. Okay. Yeah. So okay. yeah, you're right. I was I was newly awakened. Yeah. So um, we were we were talking on Facebook the other day and um, you, you said something about your story. And I just thought that it would be interesting to try and, and get you on an interview to hear hear your perspective. OK. So where should I start? So how did you become a Jehovah's Witness? OK, um, I won't say I became one voluntarily. Um, I was brought into it. Um, my mom got baptized when I was 10 years old. Prior to her being baptized, of course, we lived the normal life that people do. We went, we attended church and I was in the church choir as a little girl. And uh, we lived in the South, the Southern parts of the United States in Arkansas. And so we moved to Michigan and um, we had been living in Michigan. We moved to Michigan in 1976. And we moved into an apartment next door to a lady who my mom watched every Tuesday because my mom would see this lady having a lot of people coming over. And this one man would come over who was very, you know, he wore a hat suit. And my mom thought that that was their pimp because she thought that all the ladies were prostitutes. And she would tell my dad, she would say, <laughs> she would tell my dad, I believe that lady next door is a hooker because I can see their pimp, you know, <laughs> and all those women go in the house. And so she thought that every Tuesday night they were having, you know, their gathering, I guess, to figure out what they were going to do. And um, <laughs> so this went on, this went on for quite some time. And then one time my dad needed me to have a babysitter because um, we didn't have anyone to keep me and they both had jobs. My mom had started working full time. So he went to the, the prostitute next door to see if she will watch me when I get out of school at three o'clock. And uh, she said, yes. And he went and told my mom, my mom was mad because she was like, those people are hookers over there and they got their pimp. I see them every week and you are going over there asking this hooker to babysit my daughter. <laughs> so my mom decided to oh, go Lord. over, you, you know, know, and, and so um, funny. talk, talk to her, to her because she was, like, she was like, my daughter, you know, my daughter's not going to be here with a, with a hooker, you know? 
So that's when my mom found out the lady was one of Jehovah's Witnesses and they were having book study at her house every Tuesday. And of course, the man that was looking like a pimp, you know, he was like uh, a ministerial servant, um, but he presided over the book study. And so, um, you know, it took, my mom is a very inquisitive person. So she continued to speak with this lady and my mom, my mom loves the way people speak. If you're uh, very articulate and the lady was very articulate, very sweet lady. She had two kids and, um, you know, she would tell my mom about different things they were learning and, um, my mom loved the way they spoke when she spoke to the witnesses. And, but the lady did tell my mom that she could not be friends with her because her friends were only people that were Jehovah's witnesses. And, um, so my mom immediately accepted a study. And so, you know, they studied, um, at that time I was about eight, eight years old. They studied all the way up until, you know, I had, I had my birthdays, continue to have my birthdays, continue to celebrate every holiday. And I myself attended another church separately, you know, because originally we were Baptists. And so, um, when my mom got a lot more serious, about getting baptized, that's when she, you know, revealed to my dad that um, I'm going to get baptized. My dad was not studying. She was going to get baptized and, you know, Mona can no longer celebrate these holidays and no more birthdays. And this will be her last year doing so. But, you know, of course, every witness that get ready to get baptized, they'll tell their children, oh, but we won't miss that because, excuse my dog, because you're going to get presents all the time. And you're going to be celebrated all the time because every day is special to Jehovah. And you would be celebrated that way. So I was like, cool, you know, <laughs> I'm okay with this, you know. So um, my mom also told me that I would no longer be able to attend the church that I was attending, which was okay with me. You know, I didn't care because I loved church and I thought the Kingdom Hall, I hadn't really been to the Kingdom Hall prior to her getting ready to get baptized, but I was like, well, it's just like any other church. So she said, you're going to start going to the meetings with me. And I'm like, fine. So immediately at the age of 10, when we uh, started attending the meetings, I noticed it was different. You know, the teaching was different. There was no choir. I didn't like it, to be honest with you. But as a kid, you know, you have no choice. You go with where your parents tell you. And so, um, you know, so my mom got baptized and I also felt, oh, we'll do this temporarily because that's all we ever did. We went to church temporarily. We went to different churches, everything. We were we were the type of family that went from place to place. So I never liked the Kingdom Hall, but I was like, I'll give her a year or two years time. And eventually, you know, I settled in because, you know, kids like kids. And there were kids that I could play with. And, you know, so it became part of our norm. Um, excuse my dog. She sees another dog. That's okay. Um, That's no problem. So Can I just I'm pick gonna... up on something you mentioned? Uh, you mentioned that uh, the, the witness who your mom thought was a hooker, which is, which is hilarious, by the way. <laughs> she... She actually told your mom that she couldn't be friends with her. That's that's really strange to me because 
witnesses aren't usually that upfront about that side of the doctrine. They usually that's something they usually keep keep hidden or, or at the very least just don't speak about until somebody is much more acquainted with with the organization. Mm-hmm. Well, this this lady was very out front, you know, um, she well, let me the reason why I think she didn't want to be my mom's friend either. She didn't really like my mom. Um, because my mom was very shapely, you know, back in the seventies and she wore these tight jeans and she wore halter tops and, you know, the big shoes that they would wear. And every time she would walk down the street, all the men would just hit the door to see my mom walk past. And so, um, I found out years later that she really didn't like my mother. So she really didn't want to be friends with my mom. That's the reason why she was so forthright with telling my mom, I can't be your friend unless you're one of Jehovah's Witnesses. And so that that was the reason why. That that know, makes a lot of sense. Mom, um, okay, okay, yeah. I left that part out. <laughs> um, so when my mom started studying, they developed a relationship and she still had her suspicions about my mom. <laughs> yeah. But um, my mom became one of her progressive students because my mom, she loves knowledge. And when when you're an outsider and you've never seen anything of intellect, um, this seems so prestigious to you because you're learning a new terminology that supposedly no one else is supposed to know. You're being told that you're the cream of the crop. Jehovah has chosen you out of everyone else in the world. So it was important for my, and my mom had a love for God. You know, she had been raised to have a love for God. And so it was important to her to be part of this group because they seem to have so much going for them. But I'm going to progress up to teenage years <laughs> when, you know, the problem years. <laughs> so um, let me go to age 11. Um, she had one sister that she allowed me to go out of town with her. Uh, to visit her family in Wisconsin here in the U.S. And I was excited about going. This lady was a Jehovah's Witness, of course. Her family was. Um, so we go to Wisconsin, and while we're there, the lady had a son that was 23 years old and who was living in Wisconsin at the time. And um, he immediately he started, started molesting me while I was there. there. Oh, no. Uh, when he would, yeah. And he, you know, nighttime would come, he would touch me inappropriately. Um, and, you know, I had not, not a family member there, so I didn't know what to say, didn't say anything, you know, because I'm thinking, okay, this week would be over because I was there for a week. And I'm like, this week would be over. And he was just touching me inappropriately. So I felt, you know, um, all over, put it like that. And so... When we got close to the last part of us being there, it was like two days before we were supposed to leave. I guess he wanted to take it all the way. And so um, his family was on the backyard barbecuing because they were having a big family reunion event. And so I'm on my way up the stairs to go to the bathroom and he comes out of another room. And remember at the time, he's 23. He's a Jehovah's Witness, okay? And so he comes out the bathroom and he's like, at least out the bedroom while I'm trying to go to the bed, bathroom. And he says, 
come here. And I'm like, no. And he pulls me and he says, your first time is not going to hurt. So I start pulling from him and I had to fight this man, you know, because he's pulling me into this bedroom and I don't want to go. And I tried to throw myself down a flight of stairs because I felt that was the only way I could get away from him. But in the process of me falling down and throwing myself down the stairs, he catches me. He has my body halfway through that bedroom. And thank goodness his baby sister, who was six at the time, she walks through. She comes in the door and she says, his name was Bill. And she says, Bill, what are you doing to Ramona? She says, I'm going to tell mama. He lets me go. I ran and locked myself in the bathroom. And his mom comes in and I'm like in the bathroom. She comes in to comfort me. And, you know, I'm thinking, okay, I've been saved. And, you know, so she tells me for the rest of the trip, she's going to need me, you know, to stay away from the boys and, you know, make sure I'm around her. Then she tells the rest of the family, make sure Ramona doesn't use the telephone. I didn't know why she was saying that. You know, but I was like, well, I'm told not to use the telephone. So as soon as we get home from Wisconsin, I go into the house. You know, I didn't say anything, didn't say I was going to say anything to anyone. But I tell my mom and I tell my mom, you know, because my dad wasn't a witness at the time. OK, he was in the bedroom. And I says, mom, I said when we were in Wisconsin, I was telling her, you know, Bill molested me. You know, I didn't say molested me. I told her how he fondled me and everything. And then I said, he also tried to rape me. And I gave her the details. And um, she says to me, she says, well, since he didn't get a chance to go all the way, I'm going to need you not to say anything about this. Um, don't tell your dad, because my dad would have went crazy and done something. She said, don't tell your dad. And she says, don't tell anyone, because we don't want to bring reproach on Jehovah's name or his organization. I was hoping you weren't going to say that. So, hate hearing yeah, that phrase yeah yeah, yeah. And, and so you know, you know I'm, I'm 11 going on 12 this is the summer of 1982 so we hearing her say that took me back because i'm like i came to my mom you know because i'm thinking you're gonna do something you're gonna save me um but in the event of this happening um, my, my, um, my mom's friend that she continued to be friends with this lady. The lady went to a different congregation and, um, I'm trying to get, okay. went to a different congregation, but in her congregation, she went back to the congregation and told everyone that when she took me to Wisconsin, she had to keep me away from all the boys because I was seducing all the boys. Oh my goodness. So blaming the victim. Yes. 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 She said she tells everyone in her congregation how I was seducing all of the boys. And um, so, of course, the rumor got around in the congregation. Everyone started telling their children, do not play with Ramona Gill. I said the whole name there. You know, do not play with her. She's bad association. And um, so, of course, the kids were told, you know, I wasn't allowed to be at their functions, that they had a gathering. I wasn't allowed to be at their playovers, you know, sleepovers or anything. No events with Jehovah's Witness kids. Because back in the 80s, 
the organization had a thing that they would do with um, children of Jehovah's Witnesses. You didn't have to be an unbaptized publisher to be considered um, being reproved or, or disassociated or whatever. They had a term they said they would announce a person's name and say so-and-so is bad association. Even though that child was not baptized or unbaptized publisher, you were supposed to treat them as if they were disfellowship. Now, I never got publicly announced because at the time this was happening, I didn't know this rumor had been spread. But they, with amongst themselves, had spread it through the congregations that I was bad association. So I used to wonder why Jehovah's, you know, Jehovah's Witness kids did not want to be with me. They treated me like I had a plague. So, of course, all my friends were worldly. You know, and I, like I said, we were in a house divided. I had a dad that wasn't a witness. So it allowed me to have worldly friends and I would have, you know, and I said, since the kids at the hall don't want to be with me, these are my friends. And they were good friends. We weren't bad people, you know, and I had sleepovers with them. And that allowed me to have a normal life, so to speak. And I had told my dad when I got around 13, 14, I had informed my dad that I was never going to be one of Jehovah's Witnesses. And my dad didn't like witnesses at the time anyway. So he would tease my mom and says, well, you know, Ramona don't want to be one of Jehovah's Witnesses. And he would laugh at her. That made her double down because she was making sure I attend all the meetings. And she made me become an unbaptized publisher because she didn't like the fact my dad was saying that Mona said she didn't want to be one of Jehovah's Witnesses. So I became an unbaptized publisher approximately around the age of 15. And so, of course, you know, you start giving talks and everything. And so, um, you know, I remember my first kiss with a boy. And so I had, you know, I'm an unbaptized publisher at this point. I had kissed the boy. So I thought I was pregnant from kissing. I know it's stupid. And so because my mom used to tell me, uh, if you go around kissing boys, you're going to end up pregnant. You know, you hear all these talks at the Kingdom Hall about different things. But I thought pregnancy was because, you know, you had an intimate kiss with a boy. So I had my real intimate first tongue kissing and everything. So I'm like, um, Jehovah's Holy Spirit is going to be taken from the Kingdom Hall. I need to confess to the elders what I did. I'm scared. I'm pregnant. I'm going to be disfellowship. You know, I'm thinking all these things. Now, I'm not a baptized witness at this time, but, you know, I'm thinking all these things. So I said, um, <laughs> I'm going to wait at least a month <laughs> to find out how far along pregnant I was from kissing. Like I said, nothing but kissing. And then, you know, once I find out I'm pregnant, I'm going to tell the elders what I did. Month came by, of course, you know, I'm like, I didn't get pregnant from that, you know. So <laughs> then I said, then too, I was I was like, okay, so I didn't get pregnant this time. And I said, well, Jehovah's Holy Spirit going to end up being taken from the kingdom hall. So I'm going to sit around and wait and see when the brother said the Holy Spirit wasn't there, you know, because we'll know that I don't did something bad. Because it is showing the brothers announced it. Never did they announce anything because I thought the elders had foresight. You know, they could look at you and tell you had done wrong. Right then, at age 15, I called BS. Because I was like, these people are still going on the way they normally go on. I'm like, I kissed the boy and everything. And, you know, not all the way, but 
you know, you know how kids, young kids are. And I thought I was pregnant and I said, they always say Jehovah's Holy Spirit is supposed to lead the congregation. Mm -mm. And right then and there, I knew something was up. I had a similar experience to that. Um, so remember at the um, conventions years ago, like in the in the 80s, you when they still did food at the assemblies, you would get these tickets that you could that you you had to buy the tickets in advance at your kingdom hall, and then you go to the convention and you use these tickets to purchase food. Well, some friends of mine fold, found at the on the convention ground a whole box of them, a whole box of these tickets, and they took them. But then um, after the first day, they they started feeling guilty. They thought that Jehovah would reveal it. And you know, do you remember the um, the uh, drama, the audio drama of Achan? after Achan stole the stuff from that city and and then um Jehovah led um led Moses no not Moses um the guy who took over Joshua Jehovah led Joshua to separate the 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 whole assembly by tribe and then by household and then to 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 to, to find out who was the one who took so my friends were thinking that this was going to happen so they thought that <laughs> In the uh, after the uh, after the um, the break in the afternoon, they thought that all the whole convention would go out onto the grass in the stadium, <laughs> and then they'd all get separated out by by circuit, and then by congregation, and then by families <laughs> until until the ones who took the meal tickets were identified, <laughs> and when it didn't happen. When it didn't happen, they, you know, they all thought, of, I mean, I wasn't there. They were telling me this afterwards. When it, it didn't happen, they were telling me, is Jehovah really watching if we didn't get caught? <laughs> <laughs> it was like, ding dong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Incidentally, none of them are witnesses anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I understand why. <laughs> That is hilarious. <laughs> I guess I wasn't the only one. <laughs> yeah, that like I said, that was a light bulb moment to me. And I just started calling BS on everything, you know. And then, of course, you know, as a Jehovah's Witness kid, you know, 16, you start hanging with the so-called other not so good Jehovah Witness kids. That's all I had as far as, you know, when my mom was buckling down telling me I needed witness friends. So I seeked out the ones that were doing things, you know. And so um, they they weren't bad in retrospect when you think about it. They were bad according to Jehovah Witnesses terms, you know, because we would sneak a little drink, you know, like cool wine coolers and everything was popular back in the 80s and stuff and that's what they would drink and um i had one friend yeah she was having sex you know but you know jehovah wasn't seeing all this was going on and it led me even more to this is bs because all these kids doing all this and life is going on as normal so i was just like i'm gonna wait my time out i get to age 19. So this is when my mom was like, she got sick of me only being an unbaptized publisher because I was not progressing towards saying I want to get baptized. So I go out with one of the Jehovah's Witness kids who had became like my best friend. We go to the mall, we're, we're having fun. 
I come home, my mom is mad. It's like after 9 p.m. here. And she's like, get on the phone and call this certain person. You're going to have a Bible study. Now, the sister who was a teenager to a year older than me, she was 20. This girl hated me. She hated my guts. But my mom was like, you're going to, but she was a like a full-time pioneer and her dad was an elder. She was exemplary. You know, their family was the royalty of Jehovah Witness family. So I had to get on the phone, call her up and tell her I would like to start studying the Bible. I didn't want to do it, but, um, you know, I, I was scared of my mom, but that's a whole nother story for another day. She was abusive. Just let me say that when I was growing up, very abusive. But anyway, so I started to study, studying with this. She started studying with me. So I said to myself, okay, I'll ride this out, out until I'm able to leave home when I'm old enough. So I studied with her for a year and she's like, when are you going to get baptized? I was like, I don't know. You know, we studied out of the book, the blue book, Life That Leads to Everlasting Life that is now apostate material. But, <laughs> but that's the book that I studied out of. And um, and so, you know, then I, I was 20 and I was getting ready to turn 21. And um, I come home from work and because I was working at the bank at that time and I was going to college. And so my mom was like, you've been studying long enough and everybody else your age has gotten baptized and what that makes me look like. And she had a plaque that was on the wall that says, as for me and my household, we should serve Jehovah or God. It didn't say Jehovah, God. And she was like, you're either getting baptized or you're getting out the house. The reason why my mom was able to make all these decisions, because my dad never spoke up. He wasn't a witness, but when it came to me, he allowed her to do anything she wanted to me. And so if it meant her putting me out the house, she could, you know, he would go along with it. So I'm sitting here like 20 and I'm making only $6.12 an hour. And I'm thinking to myself, what kind of life could I have? I didn't have a family you know, everybody that was my family that lived here was witnesses. I couldn't go to them. And the friends that I had, they had already had babies. And I didn't want to live in the house with crying babies. You know, so I was like, I guess I'm going to have to tell the brothers I want to get baptized. I said, because I have nowhere to go. So I called, you know, the person that was studying with me and told her I was ready for baptism. It went so fast, you know, but I, at this time was thinking, okay, now if Jehovah is real, Jehovah's going to know my heart condition. So when they get to this last brother, he's going to tell me I'm not qualified for baptism because if the Holy Spirit is really there, they're supposed to know. So I go through those, well, it was over a hundred and something questions that we had to do. So I go through these questions and we get to the third last elder, you know, and we finish up those questions. And um, he says, okay, he says, wonderful, you're ready for baptism. He says, all we got to do is go fill up the bathroom tub and we can dunk you right now. And I looked at him, my heart dropped and he was just laughing, you know, thinking, oh, that was so neat. And I'm thinking to myself, how can this be? He's supposed to be able to, you know, Jehovah was supposed to intervene here. He knows, like Jehovah knows my heart. And 
he, I shouldn't be getting baptized because I still had a worldly boyfriend at that time. And of course, you know, being that I didn't believe I was intimate with my worldly boyfriend. And so I'm like, this can't be. I said, um, something else is wrong here, you know, because I understood the Holy Spirit not being taken away from the congregation. But for people to get baptized, I felt something should intervene. And so it led up, you know, I, the day of my baptism, I'm headed to my baptism and thinking to myself, Jehovah, if you're real, please let a semi truck hit my car and let me die now. You know, I, that's how bad I did not want to get baptized. I'm like, you will let me die now. You know, lo and behold, we made it to the Silverdome in Detroit, Michigan. And I'm still like, I felt like I was outside of my body looking at what was going on. And it was a day before my 21st birthday that I got baptized. And um, after I got baptized, I go back to, the, you know, I did this all for my mom and not to be put on the street. Soon as I went up to my mom and thinking my mom was going to be happy, congratulations. She said, good. Now you can get this fellowship. She said, what? Yes. She says, good. Now you can get disfellowshipped. Oh, man. It sounds like she was happy about that. That's her personality. Um, we've had a contentious relationship all my life. That's her personality. So, of course, you know, when she said that, I was just totally floored because I'm like, I did this to make you happy. I didn't want this. I wanted to die before getting baptized, you know. So, but then I tried to rationalize with myself, this is already happening. I was still in college. And um, I was like, this is already happening. So maybe they know what's best. Maybe this is the truth. You know, I grappled with that decision. And, um, and so I said, I'm going to be a good Jehovah's Witness. Since I'm baptized now, I'm going to be clean. I broke off my relationship with my boyfriend because I had been with him a day before my baptism, which basically would make my baptism invalid. Because according to the Shepherd and the Flock book, if you were doing something immoral all the way up to baptism, your baptism is invalid. So that's the reason why to this day, I don't really feel I've ever been one of Jehovah's Witnesses. But anyway, um, but at that point, I was like, well, even though I know my baptism, you know, I was with my boyfriend all the way to the day of day before. I said, I'm going to become a good Jehovah's Witness. I cut off ties with my boyfriend. And it, while in college, it was another guy who wanted to date me that was in college with me. And I told him, you know, the reasons why I couldn't date him. And I gave him a watchtower, underlined all these things about, you know, how witnesses are supposed to date, you know, and, um, and of course he thought I was bad shit crazy, you know, so <laughs> that, that was enough to run him off from wanting to have anything to do with me. But during the time he was trying to come after me, I went to the brother, the one who had this daughter who studied with me to ask him advice. And I was asking him advice pertaining to this man. And I'm like, um, Brother Jones, you know, I got this guy at college and blah, blah, blah. And 
tell him how I gave him the watchtower. He, he looks at me. He says, you must want this man. I said, excuse me? He says, you must want to be with this man. I said, no. I'm asking you the best way to preach to him in order to take a stance. Nah, you sound like you want to be with this man. And I said, oh, goodness, I hate I even spoke to you. And, you know, I walked away. And my, unbeknownst to me, my reputation from age 11 was still following me, even after baptism, right? So, <laughs> you know, I had, at that point, I got baptized in July. What, no, October, October, November, December, January, February, March. April. Okay, six months later, I meet my fiance. Okay, six months after baptism. But at the time, I didn't know he was going to be my fiance. Uh, I'm sitting with my mom, and it was these visiting brothers from a different town came to visit us. And my mom looks over and she's like, Ramona, look at that brother. She's like, Isn't he good looking? I'm like, No. And she's, <laughs> and she's like, she says, that's what's wrong with you. You always like worldly boys. You always run out the worldly men. You need to be looking at the brothers. You need to give the brothers a chance. And I'm like sitting there, whatever, you know. So after the meeting was over, I was getting ready to leave. But one of the sisters, young sisters come to me and she's like, well, Ramona, we're going out this evening. You know, because since I was baptized, I guess I was okay to go somewhere with the friends now. And she was like, um, we were wondering if you want to come with us and we're going to have fun going to Pirates Island. It was a place where they had go-karts and pizza and all this stuff. And I was like, sure, this was my first real outing with Jehovah's Witnesses to have fun. And like I told you, I was 21. <laughs> and so, um, you know, so we go and that particular brother that my mom had picked out while we were out and everything, he takes a liking to me, right? And he asked me to go to the bank with him to the ATM automatic teller machine with him so he could withdraw some more money. And while we're, and I'm surprised because I didn't know the dating process of witnesses at this time. So I'm surprised we were even alone together to go to the ATM because I didn't know we were supposed to be chaperoned everywhere. But at the time I wasn't dating him, I was just like, he just asked me to go. So I went. So while we were out, he was telling me how he thought I was pretty and, you know, and uh, he was like, is it okay if I call you sometime? I was like, oh, sure. I have no problems with that, you know, because I didn't like him. And so um, he started calling me on the phone and I'm thinking we're just friends because in a normal process of getting to know people, men and women you get to know people as friends. You don't automatically just be like, oh, you're mine. We're dating. We're getting married. So I'm in my mind thinking this while we're on the phone. And then two weeks later, I find engaged. Wait, what? I find out we're engaged. It wasn't asked to me, really, if I he never got on the knee or came in front. Mona, will you marry me? It was just told to me that I was engaged to him. And I'm like... I'm like, we got engaged. So, I, you know, I'm like, mom, um, 
so-and-so say we're engaged and she was excited. And then he came and gave me a ring and, you know, engagement ring. And I accepted and I was thinking in my mind, well, I guess it's the way it works at the hall. And I'm like, I don't love him, but if I marry him, maybe I grow to love him. I said, cause I've never seen real love in my life anyway, you know, just I'm so in love. So I said, I guess this is the way they do things at the hall. <laughs> you know? So um, we go through the process of being engaged and we start having a chaperone dates along with this other sister and she was dating his friend. Um, but things just was not right. This person was not compatible. He would make very bad jokes like we would go out to eat and he would call the waiters gay and um he would say terms like oh he makes my booty burn and i'm like what you know because and i was like this is so inappropriate he was just not for me and his friend he and his friend would just fall out laughing and they would just talk about gay people bad all the time and um and the friend my friend that was she was going to be my bridesmaid, my maid of honor. She, um, you know, she confessed to me that she wanted my fiance. Wait, she, she told you that she, she actually had feelings for your fiance. She told me this in front of her boyfriend and in front of my fiance. She had a boyfriend as well. Yes. Oh my God. That's crazy. Her boyfriend was, yeah. Her boyfriend was my fiance's best friend. Wow. And she told us that she wanted a true, uh, at least a co uh, confession, that she was, she had met my fiance and she had started dating him and she was marrying him. And if I had not been one of Jehovah's Witnesses, I probably would have punched her in the face. But, you know, me trying to put on that new personality and be a good Jehovah's Witness, you know, because I was auxiliary pioneering and everything too. Um, I was like, well, okay, I understand, but you know, this is the way it is. And he's my fiance. I'm sorry you feel that way. But so I eased past that, but things with he and I continued to get worse. He would tell me things about how he did not like the way I dressed because I dressed more business-like because I had a nine to five job. I worked at the courthouse. Um, I didn't dress like a little teenager in jeans and tennis shoes because that's, that wasn't allowed where I dress, you know, work. And my friend, she was two years younger than me, two or three years young. So she wore the tennis shoes and jeans and everything everywhere. And he would tell me, I wish he would dress more like her. And he told me one time, he says, um, you're not the type of woman I typically would date. Um, and I'm like, why are you marrying me? He says, oh, I, I care about you. I love you, but I date women that look better than you. Um, you know, <laughs> he was like breaking me down. Every time he would tell me something, it was always negative as far as why I was not his type of woman, but he still wanted to marry me. Then... As the months go by, now this is all happening within a six-month span, right? I find out that he and my maid of honor were sleeping together. Oh, my goodness. Yes. So um, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, what? You know, so 
she called me one day after they had left and been together because they left in front of my face one day. We were supposed to go to the movies and she was distraught and needed to talk to someone. She wanted to talk to my fiance. So I'm waiting and I'm like, we're going to miss the movies. I said, well, you guys got to come on. And before I know it, I go in the house and they drove off together. So <laughs> that whole time, I didn't know where they were, what they were doing. And she called me on the phone that night to tell me that my fiance did not want me, that he wanted her and that I was pressuring him to marry me because I, at the age of 21, going on 22, I was old and, and in a old. hurry to get married. At 21. Well, you, well know, you know, you know, the, the uh, nature, nature of witnesses, witnesses they're, they're married, married at least by 18. 18. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So for me being a woman, I'm going on 22. I'm considered old maid. You know, so I got to hurry up and get a brother to marry me. So he tells her, which I never even asked for his hand in marriage. He asked me, you know, like I told you, I didn't even know we were engaged till he told me. So, but um, at this point, while she's telling me this, I had no idea they had been sleeping together at all. So while we're on the phone, he, he calls me and... I click over it and I tell her, um, he's on the phone. And so she's like, what? I said, I'm going to let you go, sweetie, and see what he has to say. So while I'm speaking with him on the phone and I'm telling him what she tells me, he's like, she's lying to you. And I said, well, you know what? I don't care if you don't want me. I'm cool with that. I said, I never asked you to hit the highway to come to my house every day like you do. I said, every time I get out of work, I can't come in the house and change my clothes because you're already at my house. I said, so I'm cool with you not hitting the highway come to see me. I don't need to marry you. You do not define me. I said, I'm good. You can have her. So he's begging me. No, I don't want her. I, I want you. I want to marry you. So... <laughs> We continue to date for a couple more months, right? So this is when I guess my mom got the epiphany that, because I'd never loved him, but I was getting very down and out and depressed because I felt as a witness, I was supposed to marry him because they say, let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. And you know, um, so she was like, well, Mona, if you are not in love with him, she said, don't marry him. And that was... Like having sent to me, for lack of better words. So I was pleased and immediately, as soon as she told me, I told him, I don't want to get married. I gave him back his rings. He was still like, no, I do want to marry. I said, but I don't want to marry you. So we took the rings back to the jewelry store, <laughs> you know, and so he could get the refund on the rings. And I was like the happiest person you ever wanted to see because I felt I'm free. I almost married a man that I didn't love. And so, uh, so then, you know, um, after that, that's when I found out he had all along been sleeping with my so-called best friend because her biological brother, he told me that she had been doing it. And so, you know, I did not snitch on them because, you know, normally people go to the elders. I just didn't, I just didn't feel the need to go to the elders and tell what had happened. I was like, well, if Jehovah's Spirit is really there, they should, they'll tell on themselves. 
They never did. So after that, you know, I had a lot of cracks coming to me along the way. After that, I was like, I don't want to date another witness. But I did date another witness man, but it didn't go anywhere. Um, I dated a couple of other witness men. And it was just like, no, all these are bad, bad relationships. And so as I got older, I did meet uh, a worldly man. And he was so kind to me. And I was like trying to get him to study with witnesses and, you know, keeping my distance from him, telling him I could be with him. But it didn't matter. No matter what I said, he continued to shovel snow from me, mow my yard for me. Anything I needed, he was there, you know. And so, um, you know, but I continued to partially be a believer because, you know, if you believe in the Bible, you're like, well, all this may not be true, but this is true. So you stick with it. And so I I kept putting this man off, even though he would stay in the background. And if I called him and needed anything, he was there. Let's progress up to when I woke up. 2017, November. Took that long. I'm sitting at my desk because now I have my own business. But I had to do some research for a case that I was taking care of. And while I was researching the case, I come across the Australian Royal Commission. And I'm like, oh, what's this? You know, the brothers on here, you see uh, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Jackson. You see him on there. And I'm thinking this got to be something dealing with positive about the Jehovah's Witnesses. So I want to see what my dear brother Jeffrey Jackson is saying, right? <laughs> so... <laughs> my first thing I hear him lie about the disfellowshipping him and some other elders lie about the process of disfellowshipping and you know because it was on YouTube and so you know you, you could listen to whatever portion you want to and they're talking about um, they don't believe in shunning and how natural relationships will continue you know all these things I'm like that's not true that's not the way it worked. That's not what they're teaching us. And I saw them twisting the actuality of what happens. You know, and, and I'm I'm getting mad right now as I see them lie because they tell us to be bold in the faces of authorities and anybody because Jehovah is our leader and you you should have bold faces and you should stand up for what you believe in. You know, stand up for the truth. And I'm looking at them like they're not standing up for the truth. These are our leaders. I don't care if they tell the world that they're not our leaders. These are our leaders. These are the people that's supposed to disperse uh, biblical truths to us and, you know, new light to us. So then I said, let me continue listening. I, I'm hearing the thing about the child abuse because I didn't know at that time that child abuse molestation was so prevalent within our organization. Now, I did know one of my friends who had been molested by her dad when I was uh, 19. She had told me she had got molested by her dad, but I thought that was an isolated incident. I just thought he was sick, you know, but I did not know <clears throat> that this was a prevalent culture of what they did. How, how did it make you feel finding all of that out given your own experience? I cried. 
it, it was like I had been stabbed in the heart. And then it went back to my mom saying, don't say anything to anybody because we don't want to bring reproach upon Jehovah's organization. Um, then I realized, I said, even if I had said something, I felt, I felt like that 11 year old girl again, that I wouldn't have been protected no matter what. I was going to be villainized whether something came out on my end or that sister that came and slandered me. So I'm like, this is how this organization run. I cried for the victims. And then those who actually had gone through that process of having fathers physically molest them, having brothers that they looked up to, male and female, having to experience the physical abuse, sexual abuse, that's torture. Even Because we know as an adult, even when you voluntarily intimate with someone for the first time, um, you know, you know the process. It's not an easy one. Okay. So think of a child having to be done this way. And then you have a whole organization saying these children don't matter. What matters most is our reputation. So we're going to hide all of this and not tell anyone. We don't want the authorities to know. We just want a clean, sparkly reputation in front of the world so we can bring more people in. So I also got angry. Very angry. I'm so, so sorry that you had, that you yeah, went, went through all of that. I went through so many emotions. Um, that was the really waking up. That, that ceiling I told you that was cracking through all these events that I'm telling you that happened, that broke it wide open. I was done. Then... Of course, immediately when I found out, I tried to like disperse information to my dad because, oh, he became a Jehovah's Witnesses, a witness and during this process. So I skipped all over that. He's a um, ministerial servant now, but but he's a more open person to speak with than my mom. But I, I'm not going to go through all that. But um, I tried to drop little hints to my dad about the Royal Commission, but he refused to look at it. And so um, watching the YouTube videos, watching Lady C and JT on ex-critical thinkers, I got all my ad advice on how to handle when it comes to waking up family members. And their videos taught me um, that sometimes you, you can't wake family members up. Don't try. Because it can be more detrimental to you. Um you have to think about your circumstances. What all do you have to lose? Because a lot of people, when they wake up and the main thing in your heart and soul is I got to warn people I love to get out. But, um, but you know, and I did have that feeling. Then you have to think about the fallout and lady C and JT made a good um, uh, statement about, Get your social life in order when you're ready to leave. Make sure you have your education. Make sure you have your money right. Make sure that everyone needs a social network because that's that's grandiose for our, our mental state. And so I said, because I, I was immediately going to disassociate myself. But I'm an only child. 
I have adopted sisters now, but I'm an only biological child. And I'm the only one that's there with my parents being aging now that can take care of them when they're sick. So it was like a lot weighing on me. And I said, I want out, but I can't leave right now. Then I had I had a biological brother who committed suicide in 2019. Oh, no, I'm so sorry to hear that. And it had a lot to do with the way he was raised as being one Jehovah's Witnesses. And he was bullied growing up. And, you know, it led him to um, he left home. He was basically put out the house, but he started hanging with a group of people that were bad. He started drinking, doing drugs. The night that in 2019, January 1st, 2019, um, he had called my mom and was talking about he wanted to come back to the hall and he wanted to get his life together. He wanted to finish school. Um, and she had said something to him about, well, you know, we can't have nothing to do with you. Now, he never got baptized. He only became an unbaptized publisher. But, you know, we can't have anything to do with you until you get your life together. When you get back to the hall, that's the only way I'm going to let you, you know, around us. And his words, last words on Facebook was, everybody, I've lost my family. Goodbye. And he walked in front of a moving car. And the car was going full speed. And he killed himself. Yeah. You know, so... Like I said, I woke up in 2017. My brother killed himself in 2019. Then after my brother killed himself in 2019, my mom had a heart attack. And so it was like, because every time I was like, I want to come out of this organization, but so many tragic things were happening. And so I had to help my dad during 2019, 2020, get my mom back on the men's to health. So, so all of these reasons are, are why you're still officially a, a Jehovah's Witness today because yes. every time you wanted to leave something was keeping you back in yes because I'm not scared of man you know how a lot of people think especially in the XJW community they feel um if you're PMO they like oh you're scared of the brothers you're scared of man no that's not everyone's story if it was just me or just or my family had it my fam my parents' health was better. I would be easy for me to walk away because I've never seen this religion cohesively be a hundred percent anyway. You know, so or if you want to call it a religion, you know, I and so but I do love my parents. Even my mom, even though she was abusive to me, you still love, you know, I still love my mom. She beat the bricks off of me growing up. I still love her, you know. Um, but I realized I had to get myself together. And, you know, waking up, I even, and like I tell a lot of XJWs, we need to be careful how we treat one another, regardless of whether we're PMO or completely out. Um, we need to be careful how we talk to each other, how we treat one another, because you could push somebody back to the organization, you know, if you argue amongst within each other the way you do, people are going to see you acting like a poster board for a watchtower. <clears throat> Excuse me. You know how when they say that people who are outside are deranged and all kind of things, all you do is push people back. 
you know, I understand waking up, you have the freedom of thought, the freedom of speech that you didn't have. But be careful. So you speaking out now and telling your story in, in, in such a public way, um, what, what do you think could happen as a result of, of this? We know what could happen. It's, it's irrelevant. But you know what? My story is told. The reason why I don't go anonymous is because if my story does get, it's going to get told one way or the other. But if my story is told, you got the truth of the way I feel. I don't need to go in the back room to nobody. Watch the video. So therefore, my story is so I don't need to repeat what I've said. Watch the video. I don't need to be validated or invalidated by anyone. My truth is my truth. Now, what they do with it, that's on them. The way family members feel about it, that's on them. I'm here for them while they let me be here for them. But if my family member want nothing to do with me, if they were to see this video, that's on them too. But at least you listen to my story. Because if I sat across the table from three elders, do you think I'll be able to tell them everything I told you? No. They would interrupt me. They would use cherry pick scriptures. They would play on your heart strings to try to get tears out of you and turn around and still tell you you're not repentant. They would disfellowship me either way, God. This is the only way to tell my truth. Well, I must say it's, it's incredibly brave of you. It's incredibly brave of you, you know, um, knowing what's at stake, but, you know, having the, the courage to, to tell your story, tell your truth in your own way and to own it, you know. So I, I really admire you for doing that. Well, thank you. Well, like once again, like I said, when others say, oh, PMOs are scared. No, we're not all scared. We, we just know that our story will not be told in full if we sit across those elders. They're going to cut you off because they don't want to hear it. It's something that I, I often tell uh, PMOs that I speak to, that the elders are not there to help you. That isn't what they're mm -hmm. there for. The, the elders are like white blood cells <laughs> or antibodies in, mm -hmm. in your immune system. Mm -hmm. They're there for one reason and one reason only, and that is to protect, in what, well, in their minds, protect the health of the congregation. And if you're somebody mm -hmm. who they see as a corrupting influence, or even just somebody who just has doubts, you're a danger, mm -hmm. and they, they will, you know, amputate you <laughs> from the congregation. Yeah, that's, that's, that's their function. That's their that's function. True. They'll cut you out like, like gangrene. That's, that's true. true. Yeah. So that's my story. Well, thank you so much for sharing it. And I'm really honored that you, you know, you decided to share your story with, with all of us and through through my channel. Um, I'm very humbled thank you. that you've that done that. And I'm so sorry for all the, the, the things that you've been through. You know, you've been through so, you know, so much. You know what I feel? Um, everybody goes through something. And that's what makes our book so beautiful. We're an open book and we can rewrite that story. We can change the story. And even though things happen to me, things have happened to other people that is even worse. And so that's what makes me me.
And I love who I am today. I know me now. One thing that I pick up from you as you're talking is how strong you are. You're incredibly strong, not just for the fact that you've been through everything you've been through and it hasn't broken you, for the fact that you're so courageously facing what could happen as a result of what you're doing now is, is, you know, it's, it's really, really, it, it comes through so strongly and, you know, it's very admirable. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Like I said, my history created who I am today. And even after this, no matter what may happen, it ain't going to stop me from living. I got a lot more stories I'm going to tell. I got a lot more living I'm going to do as long as I'm on this side of the earth. No one's going to stop me from telling my truth. Well done. Well done. Thank you. And I hope everything works out in the best possible way that you can. I've gone against a lot of adversity in my life. Nothing but death can stop me. Oh, that's, that's a really inspiring attitude. Wow. What an inspiring story. Mona has been through so much, but she's come through it all and she's all the stronger for it. I'm sure you all wish Mona the very best and hope that things work out for her in the best possible way. I know I do. Thank you very much for watching. Please proceed to the Jexit in an orderly fashion and I'll see you in the next one. Thank you so much for watching to the very end of the video. If you haven't already done so, please like, leave a comment and subscribe to the channel. If you like my work and want to help me continue doing it, please support me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Jexit underscore 2020. And with that, I'd like to sincerely thank these very special patrons who make these videos possible.